Welcome to the Roxborough Church Podcast. For more resources and information, visit RoxboroughChurch.org. We hope you are blessed by this week's message. Alrighty. Between 1967 and 1970, there was a police show that came on television known as Dragnet. Some of you are familiar with Dragnet. The television series starred uh, a man named Jack Webb, who was Sergeant Joe Friday. And he had a sidekick. His name was Bill Gannon, played by Harry Morgan. And if you know who Harry Morgan is, he was actually Colonel Potter in M.A.S.H. When we look at the show, Dragnet, the show was actually a procedural police story. And it was the only show that actually showed how the police strategically would put together their cases. And so when you look at the word dragnet, it means a system of coordinated measures for apprehending criminals. That's what the show was named for. But if you recall the show, it used to open up like this. Dum, da, dum, dum. Dum, da, da, dum, dum. You remember that? And it always would start, ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Well, today, we're going to look at a parable called God's Dragnet. However, ladies and gentlemen, the story you're about to hear is true. The names have not been changed, and we're going to look at more than just the facts. We're going to look at the truth. When we look at these parables, we can actually find in Matthew 13 that there were eight parables that Jesus gave. The first six parables, the way that he presented it, he presented the nature of the kingdom He presented the power and influence of the kingdom, and he presented the personal appropriation of the kingdom. But in the last two parables in Matthew 13, he presented judgment. And the judgment was on unbelievers. And so we see Jesus actually giving us information about what's going to happen at the end. Now, how, do you, how should we receive this? Because I'm going to be honest with you. When, when we look at this particular parable, it's a very difficult parable to take. It's a very hard parable to really take in emotionally. Because most people, when they hear the particular topic that we're going to talk about today, they don't like it. They want to stay away from it. In fact, you don't hear it preached on a lot, and I can understand why. But it's in the Scripture, and when we look at the Scripture, we know that the Scripture is God talking to us. God giving us information that we need to know. Matter of fact, the Scripture is God's love letter. And and when you think of a love letter, you think of all the good stuff, don't you? But when God writes a love letter, he has to include other things. And a lot of times we don't like to hear the other things. It's just like with our kids. So much we want to love our kids. And some people will 
mistake what love really is because they believe that loving their kids is not disciplining their kids. But when you don't discipline your kids, you're actually showing them that you don't love them. Because that's how God is. God lets us know that he loves us, and because he loves us, he disciplines us when we get off kilter, when we go another direction. And so when we look at what, when God lays out this parable for us, these last two parables in Matthew 13, he actually wants us to know something. He wants us to know that, listen, I want you to have a warning. And because I love you, I'm going to give you a warning. So I'm going to tell you this parable so that you can know something. And this is what he says in Matthew 13, 47 to 50 in this parable. He says this, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet that was cast into the sea and gathered some every kind, which when it was full, they drew to shore and they sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but threw the bad away. So it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come forth, separate the wicked from among the just, and cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Whoa, this sounds really harsh, doesn't it? Sounds really harsh. It's, it's hard to hear. But this is Jesus saying this. And one of the things that we see in there, it says the wicked from among the just. So we know that this, there's going to be the separation. But, but wait a minute. Let's look at that word wicked for a second. We don't like hearing that word, do we? It sounds bad. We don't like hearing the word evil. We don't think that we're evil. We, we, don't associate it, we don't associate people being evil. The people that we associate being evil are, are murderers, mass murderers and rapists and people who do bad things. That's what we associate wickedness with. But when we look at the definition, definition of wicked, and I looked at it in the International Bible Encyclopedia, it says this, the state of being wicked, a mental disregard for justice righteousness, truth, honor, virtue, evil in thought and life, depravity, sinfulness, criminality. David even lets us know what the character of a wicked person is. And, and I didn't give you the psalm, Psalm 10, 2 to 7. I just merely brought out the points that David is talking about. And he's describing the character of a wicked person. And this is what David says. David says that a wicked person is full of pride. They're arrogant and boastful. They, the, wicked of, the wicked afflicts the weak and speaks abusively of the Lord. The wicked person is confident. They're, they're, they have haughtiness. And they have no room for God or God's laws. Such a person is convinced that they cannot be moved from their wicked ways. They think they can continue undisturbed in their prosperity and happiness. Their words are deceitful and destructive. They create trouble and evil is under their tongue and the words they speak will cause calamity. That's what it says. That's what David says. Now, we know that David was a man after God's own heart, and yet 
He gives us this information so that we can be aware of it. And then Jesus comes behind him in the New Testament and lets us know that, wait a minute, something's going to happen with the wicked. Now, here's the reality. In the Bible, we see that wickedness is tied into pagan gods. In the Bible, we see that wickedness is tied into sexual immorality. In the Bible, we see that wickedness is even tied into war. And like I said earlier, we don't want to see ourselves as being wicked. But according to the scripture, guess what? It lets us know that, that we are. The reality is, is that everybody who was born after Adam and Eve are actually born with evil. Evil entered into them when they fell. And every person born after Adam and Eve Evil was imputed. It's in us. It's, we don't have to pick it up. It's not, it's, not like a, um, it, it's not like a disease that we attract and get from somebody else. It's in us. We're born evil. Now, that sounds bad, doesn't it? But that's how we're born. That little baby that was just born in the hospital today, this morning, guess what? There's evil in that baby. That's hard to hear, but it's the truth. And the scripture lets us know that we're born in sin and we are shaped in iniquity. But thank God for Jesus, right? Thank God for Jesus because what did Jesus do? Jesus came so that he can remove and take evil out of us. And by him going to the cross, he was able to remedy the situation, and he provided a prescription for us known as his blood. And when he shed his blood on the cross, guess what happened? He made it possible for evil now to be relinquished out of our life and made it possible for us to be back in relationship with God. Thank God for that, right? That's what Jesus did for us, and, and that's something to be grateful about. And so we need to understand that sin cannot enter into heaven. And this is what Jesus is talking about. That's when, why when he gives this parable, he lets us know that there's a separation between those who are wicked and those who know him. Now, when we look at what's being said here, we, we see that Jesus apparently uses fishing analogy. And we know that there were three ways on the Sea of Galilee in which people went fishing. One of the ways we know is that, and we see this with Peter, Peter, when he was asked by Jesus to, to put a, a rod into the water, and they didn't have rods, they had a they had a stick. That's not the one, but, but I'm going to get to that. But, but they would have a rod with a hook on it. They put it in the water to catch one fish. And Jesus told them, listen, I want you to put that in the water because I got to pay my taxes. And so Jesus asked them to put it in the water. There came a fish, and in the fish was a drachma. And that's how Jesus paid his taxes. Now, we know that's a miracle, isn't it? But then the second way, on the Sea of Galilee, and there's a picture, there's a picture here of what's known as a, an aphoblestron. That's how you pronounce it. And what it is, it's a net. And they would throw this net out, to catch, and it was a one-person net, and they would throw the net out. It, they cover a school of fish, they pull a cord, 
and they would be able to catch the fish. That's what Peter and them did when they were out fishing and they were, when they were doing single fishing by themselves. But then in the next picture, you're going to see that there's another net. And the net that they use is called, uh, it's called a dragnet. And this is what a dragnet does. There would be two boats, and they would attach this huge net with the two boats, and they would go out deep sea fishing. And they would take it, and they would be strung together to each of the boat, the, the net would, and they would put it down to the bottom, and it would, they would just drag it, the two boats, and they'd go back to shore, and it would be full of everything. And then when they got to the shore, sometimes it took them a couple hours to, to pull this net out onto the shore. And when they got onto the shore, what they did is that they, one, one by one, they take the good fish and put it in a container and take everything else and throw it away. This is the analogy, analogy that Jesus used. And he's using this analogy for what purpose? He's letting us know that this is what's going to happen at the end. Before Jesus establishes his kingdom, what's going to happen, he's going to have to separate the good and the bad. And he's using this fish to do it. So when we look at the analogy, the dragnet is the gospel of the kingdom that's being thrown out. That's the dragnet. And it's being thrown out into the sea. Well, what's the sea? The sea is everybody that's in it. And then what's the, when it's being drawn, well, what's that? It's being drawn so that the separation can take place. All right, so, so what's going on here? Well, here's where we're at. We're in the church age. The gospel is being thrown out. That's what, that's what he's saying. The gospel for everyone who receives the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is Jesus Christ going to the cross, dying for your sins, his blood is shed for your sins. Anyone who believes that message, that believes that he went to the cross, he died for your sins, he was buried in resurrection, all that is the gospel. And the resurrection is the culmination of the gospel because in the resurrection is how we have life. And Jesus is letting us know here to them that at the end, there's going to be the separation of those who are in the kingdom of heaven and those who aren't. Those who are in the kingdom of heaven have received the message of the gospel. So what does that mean? Those in this room who have accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, guess what? We are in the kingdom of heaven. We're living in the kingdom of heaven, even though we're operating in the here and now. We are actually in the kingdom of heaven, and we have access to everything there. The Bible lets us know that we have been seated in heavenly places. The Bible also lets us know that Jesus is praying for us. Because he knows we're still in this part of the kingdom, and we're down here dealing with evil. Well, Crawford, what, what about those who aren't in the kingdom? See, that's the point. The gospel is going out every day. The gospel is on the radio. The gospel is on the TV. The gospel's in books. The gospel is preached in churches every, every Sunday. The gospel is in tracts. The gospel is all over the place. 
The gospel is going out. That's the net. The net is being cast all the time. And those people who will receive the message of the gospel and allow the gospel to penetrate their hearts, they don't have nothing to worry about because they're in the kingdom of heaven already. And Jesus is letting us know that those who aren't in the kingdom, they're going to be separated because they're not part of the kingdom. So when we look at what he says here, let us, we, we already at point one. So point one is what I just said. Everyone is in the dragnet. Everybody is in the dragnet. The net is going to be drawn one day and it's going to capture everybody. And, and so Crawford, who are the wrong people then? Who, what are the bad fish? Well, well, guess what? Notice what the bad fish, if we look at bad fish, you don't want the little fish, you don't want the unclean fish, you don't want the useless fish, you don't want the unfit fish, you don't want the dead fish. All those get thrown out. Okay? So how does that apply to people? Well, there are those people that are religious. Guess what? They're not part of the kingdom. If they don't have Jesus, they're just religious, but they're not in the, they're not in the, they're not in the kingdom of heaven the way that God said they're supposed to be in there. They're just religious. What about all the good people? Good people, guess what? Jesus didn't say that we're saved by being good. That's not what he said. He said the only way to salvation is through Jesus, and Jesus says that because he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way to get to see God other through me, and if we don't go through him, we can't see him, so it's not about being good. Now, I know that when you go out on a date, and all those who went out on dates, you, you are perfected in how you dress. Well, now it's changed because we used to get really dressed up back in the day. When we went out on a date, we even put cologne on because we want to look our best and we want to smell good. And when we did that, you know, we'd go up to the lady and, and we'd go into a nice place to eat and and we would pay for it, and everything would be good, and, and we're at our best, and, and we want everything to look good. We're not thinking about nothing bad, are we? I'm not going to tell her about me. I'm not going to tell her, you know what, I'm really a thief. I'm not going to tell her, you know what, I smoke marijuana all the time. I'm not going to tell her that I drink like a fish. I'm not going to tell her any of those things. I'm not going to reveal all the bad stuff that's in me, am I? No. So, no, that's not true about me. Uh-uh, I, I, <laughs> that's not true about me, all right? So, so the reality is, is that we're not going to reveal the bad stuff because we don't like talking about the bad stuff, do we? See, and when it comes to heaven, people don't want to, when it comes to God and when it comes to his love, people don't want to hear about the bad stuff. But there's judgment attached to love. Judgment is a part of love. So when God says he loves us, it's not absent of judgment. And we need to understand that. And the reality is, is that the net at the end is it's going to include everybody. And then Jesus is the one who gives the interpretation. Jesus says this. He says, 
Here's God's judgment at the end of the age, which is after the millennial period, after the thousand years are up, there's going to be the judgment. The church age will be over. Every, all that, it's going to now go, move into the kingdom. And we're told that at the end, angels are going to be the ones who do the separation. He says that twice. He said that in the parable before this one. In the wheat and the tares. Now, what he's saying is the wheat and the tares will grow together. See, the reality is that God is allowing everything right now to grow together. He's allowing the wheat and the tares, which represents the believers and the unbelievers. Because the truth is, is that there's unbelievers in church. There are unbelievers that go to church every week. There are unbelievers that have been going to church for years. They've been churched. So when we look at those people who are outside of the kingdom, the religious people, the good people, the cults, those who are church, those who are atheists, those who are agnostic, guess what? All those are wicked people. And the only thing that changes the wickedness in our lives is the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when Jesus looks at us, those who have received Christ, he sees the righteousness of Christ in us. And that's the difference. So when we look at what the next point, we are to understand the significance of the final separation. We are to understand its significance. And what the word judgment means, it means to separate. In Hebrew, it means to discriminate. In Greek, it means to divide. It doesn't matter which word you use. Whether you use separate, discriminate, or divide, God at the end, Jesus at the end, is letting us know that there's going to be a separation between those who know him and those who don't know him. Now, here's the thing. He wants us to understand the separation. Here's what we need to understand. The separation is going to be thorough. Right now, we, it's all mixed. Everybody's a part of it. Everybody can be sitting up in the church, and like I said earlier, they can, some can know Jesus, some cannot know Jesus. Here's the thing. The church is a hospital. The church is supposed to be a place where people can come to get healed through the word of God. And when I use the term healed, I'm talking about healed in the perspective of coming to know Jesus because that's a healing. You know that, don't you? <laughs> Jesus has come to heal our souls, y'all. See, our soul is what we're talking about. Our soul is sin sick. And Jesus has come so that our souls might be healed because the problem with our soul is sin. And Jesus has come to heal us from our sin sickness. That means we have to be washed in the blood of Christ. And how does that happen? When we receive him as our Savior. That's what the word covered by the blood is. And all those people that are covered by the blood, they're going to be in the presence of God because they're in the presence of God now, just not in the presence literally because that's later on. That's a different part of the kingdom. And so it's going to be thorough. There won't be no more mixing. It's going to be, it is determined. This is what's going to happen because God 
is the one who said this is what's supposed to happen. He has established this. There's nobody that can change it. It's already determined. It is permanent. Now, now we need to understand that. It is permanent. The only way to be part of the kingdom is, is to choose Jesus as we have breath and life now. Once we die, it's over. Once we close our eyes in death on this side, there won't be an opportunity to receive Christ at another time. We can only receive Christ now. Now, why is Jesus giving us this information? Because he wants, this, he wants us to know, listen, I love you guys so much. I'm the only one that can give you this information because I know what's coming. God himself is giving us this information. It's not one of the disciples. It's not a prophet. It's God himself through the person of Jesus Christ letting us know this is what's going to happen and you can take it to the bank. And then the final thing, he wants us to know that the end of the wicked will be dreadful. Here's what the wicked is going to have coming to them. That, and Jesus lets us know. He says that, wow, they're going to be eternally burning. The final point that he makes is that their terrible fate is that they're going to be in an eternity where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That sounds hard. But that's a judgment for those who don't believe. Now, here's the thing. Jesus don't want that to happen. It's actually the reverse. Jesus is letting us know this information so that, listen, guys, you can make the choice not to have this because this isn't for you. This is meant for the devil. And this is meant for the demons that followed Satan when one third of the heavenly host left heaven to go with Satan. And they became demons. This is really for them. This is their destiny. But all those who, die, who do not receive the net, all those who don't receive the gospel, this is what's going to happen if you're not part of my kingdom. Because my kingdom exists with those who have received Christ. Jesus has given us this information. So he's letting us know what they are to receive. And he also lets us know that they're going to be able to remember that one of the things in, about judgment is that they can remember. Well, where do we see this at? We see it in Luke 16, where Abraham, Abraham's bosom, and we see that there's the, there's the rich man, and we see that there's, there's the, the beggar. And the beggar ends up in, going to end up in heaven, and the rich man is in hell. And he's like, can you please go tell my family? They don't want this. Yeah, we tried to tell you that this is what's going to happen. We tried to tell you that you can avoid this. But you didn't accept it. And now the beggar is comfortable because he's with the Lord, and the rich man is in hell. 
Here's the third point and final point. We are to understand the final destination. It says, and we'll cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's verse 50. There was a pastor several years ago, back in 2007. His name was Carlton Pearson. And Carlton Pearson at one point was, was a pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He had 6,000 people at his church. And he began to think about hell and began to think about, does Jesus really send people to hell and does hell really exist? And as he thought about that, he came to the conclusion that hell doesn't really exist. How could a loving God send people to hell? And so he began to teach this. His church went from 6,000 to 300. So those people who started hearing that message knew inside of their hearts that, wait a minute, no, he just changed up his doctrine, and this doctrine isn't of the Lord. Well, Carlton Pearson came to the point of believing that there's no hell, and that there's people who actually believe that there's no hell. And people will say hell is in the mind, and people will say that hell is on earth right now, but no. This does not compare to what hell really is. And so when we look at the final point that we're looking at here, we are to understand that the final de de destination is hell for those who are wicked. And so the doctrine of hell is hard to accept. It's emotional. Let's be real. It's very emotional because we think there's no way that God could do this. But here's the thing. God doesn't send people to hell. They choose to go there by not receiving the free gift that God gives through his son, Jesus Christ. He doesn't want us to go to hell. He didn't provide hell for us. He wants everybody to be saved, and the net gives everybody the opportunity to resave him. But when people don't do that, they make a conscious choice by turning away the gospel and turning away Jesus and not wanting him in their life. And at the end, God is saying, I can't allow you into my heaven because you didn't receive the covering which is in my son. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We get so deceived by the enemy because you realize that the only way that the enemy can get to Jesus is to get to us. And if the enemy can get us believing the lies, that is what takes us out because that's what's a part of our everyday living, isn't it? It's the lies of Satan and what we believe. And Jesus has brought us the word to give us truth. And the truth is what is able to set us free as we live in it. So Jesus doesn't want to send people to hell. That's not his intent. He wants everybody to come to have the free gift. But they have to open their lives to it. Here's the final point. Jesus lets us know what we can find in the Bible. Here's the truth. Hell is a place of constant torment. It's misery and pain. Some people will make fun of it. 
And they act like, well, so what if I go to hell? It's another fun place to be. No, it isn't. No, it's, it's going to be no light. It's darkness there. Forever damned, never to come out. Total misery. Hell will involve the torment of both body and soul. Just like when we die, the believer, the soul goes to be in the presence of God. The body is still there. And it, it, this body that we have now, it's a shell. That's why it's breaking down. My foot hurts. I can't hardly walk. I, I got all this stuff going, high cholesterol. I got blood, high blood pressure. I got all this stuff going on in this body because this body came from the ground. All broken up. My eyes, I got to take drops now because I'm on the edge of glycoma. There's all kinds of stuff going on with this body. But I'm going to get a new one. I'm looking forward to my new body. I don't have to worry about all this stuff. A new body's coming. And I got a little of it now because I had a hip replacement. And, you know, I got some metal up here. So, you know, partly I'm a bionic man. I can't run like he could run now. Y'all remember that show? The Six Million Dollar Man. <laughs> All right, y'all can look that up. Um, but anyway, right, the body's going to be brought back together with the soul, and they're going to be able to feel it. Whoa. The torments of hell will be experienced in various degrees. There's going to be degrees in hell. I, so there's actually worse there's, it's going to be worse off for some people. That's heavy. Finally, y'all, the torment will be everlasting. They will be able to experience the presence of God. Think about that for a minute. Not experiencing the presence of God forever being in torment. God doesn't want that for us. And this isn't about making you be scared. And people will look at this message, and, oh, the fire and brimstone today. You know, I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher. I'm just preaching a parable. But the reality is, is that God has given us all of his word. And we can't just focus on part of it and just diss the other part and say, I don't want to read it. I don't want to know it. No, we need to understand all of it. And as a believer in Jesus, I don't need to be afraid of this. But what this should stir us to do is to fear for our friends and our family who doesn't know Jesus. And this should stir us on to evangelism. Because we don't want to see our loved ones experience this. And those individuals that we know that live around us who don't know Jesus, this should give us something within our spirit, within our heart, to have a desire to want to pray for them to get saved. It should stir us on to give them the gospel no matter how they feel about it. It should stir us on to love them anymore. It should stir us on to be an example of what Jesus is. It should stir us on to give the message to everybody we see because we love them. That's what this message to stir us to do. Because we're 
part of the kingdom of heaven. And we are the representatives of Christ. And that's what he desires us to be doing. Let's do it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you, Lord, that you, through Jesus, have shown us the reality of what happens to those who have turned away the gift that you have for them, the gospel. Father, we ask that your love will continue to be demonstrated not only through our lives, but through the lives of all those that know you. Lord, we pray and ask that you will move by your spirit. And Lord, that there can be a revival in our land. And Lord, that, that people will have a desire to want to know you and to know Jesus. Father, we pray that we will not be afraid to open up our mouths, but Lord, that we can have a boldness that's given to us through the Holy Spirit. And Lord, that we can choose to live in a way that pleases you in all that we do. Lord, we thank you and we love you. And we thank you for the love that you have for us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, 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 amen. Hey, before we get into our last song of worship and then before Mel comes up to give us her blessing and sending and invite us to our five-minute party, I want to just quickly um, give one final reminder, one final push. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. We pray it was life-giving. To find out more about us, visit our website at roxboroughchurch.org and join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30 a.m.